Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your own host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Serpent's Shadow. How are you doing today, Jane? Uh, I'm, I'm doing okay. It's a very special day today. Oh, what's that day? Uh, the, the day today is uh, the one-year anniversary of Unwise Girls, plus one week. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> We foregore. Happy one year anniversary to Unwise Girls. I'm incredibly, I'm incredibly happy. <laughs> I am as well. I've had a lot of fun doing this whole, this podcast for a whole year. Yeah. Week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm doing this podcast over the last year and a week uh, has really, <laughs> has really given my life a lot of like, I don't know, structure to it. Like, I'm like, wow, I just have mm-hmm. a thing to look forward to now. Yeah. For like. Yeah, it's like 52 weeks plus another. Uh, and, you know, I'm hoping for 52 weeks plus another more. A whole 51 extra weeks. Yeah. Uh, that's not how math works, I don't think. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, And you know what? Also, this is the 100th podcast we've ever recorded together. It is. So, this so is, this I is... guess that makes it more of a milestone, which is why we skipped the thing last week. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> We're including bonus episodes. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is only the 54th? 54th or 55th? We'll figure it out in post. We I think it's the 55th. We'll forget. Okay, wait. I'm going to I'm going to it's the 55th episode. <laughs> Delete as appropriate. Yeah, and whichever one of those was right will get cut out. <laughs> will not get cut out. Fuck. Okay, let's do this do the summaries. All right. Do you want to do those or should I? I mean, you've written some. I could, I could try and freestyle it, but that would seem like a, a waste of your time. It would be. All right, <laughs> uh, time to go. Chapter nine. Sadie. Zia breaks up a lava fight. After contacting Carter, Sadie joins Zia at a ruined shrine to Isis and fills her in on the plan, even managing to convince her with the Setnit part. Then Sadie summons Isis to teleport them to Sunny Acres but not before giving the goddess a piece of her mind about Anubis and her being forbidden from dating. Isis says human contact with gods should be regulated, that Amos is still tainted from hosting Set, and Zia is apparently also struggling. Then, after rejecting Isis's fusion offer once more, they teleport to the godly nursing home. The lobby is empty, which is lucky because Zia starts freaking out and throwing fireballs. After she regains control, she tells Sadie this has been happening more and more frequently, and it might be because of the sympathetic connection between her and Ra. She felt the pain he experienced while staying here. She wonders if Amos didn't send Z out with her on purpose, and also realizes that Amos has been channeling Set to help them. Sadie's frustrated, but they go out anyway, and find that the old folks are having a beach day. Talaret is happy to see Sadie again, and leads her to Bez. Sadie manages to get the location of Bez's shadow out of Talaret. A few thousand years ago, after a hunting excursion with the goddess Neith, she and Bez sat on the temple wall in Sais, and to remember the happiness they shared, Bez decided to leave a shadow there. The city has since been destroyed, but Sadie might still be able to find it in the area. During all that, Zia had stepped into the river of fire to break up a fight between a couple of fire gods. She gets back to the shore, and, just when they're wondering how to get to Setney's trial, Carter arrives by steamboat to give them a ride. 
Chapter 10. Sadie. Take your daughter to work day goes horribly wrong. Aboard the Egyptian Queen, once more headed by Bloodstained Blade, Sadie and Carter have a quick argument about the wiseness of being around demons right now before getting on their way to the Hall of Judgment. They tell each other everything they've learned, and Zia and Walt convince Carter that the journey to save Bez is important to figure out how to stop Apophis. When they arrive at the doors of the Hall, some ghosts are lined up, which Walt somehow identifies as petitioners and refugees, and in front of the doors is a giant jackal. Walt also says the right words to get them into the Hall proper, somehow. Inside is Osiris and his advisor Disturber, presiding over the judging of a modern mortal who ends up being weighed as virtuous. The Canes explain to their father the situation, and he's entirely against the plan until they tell him about the almost certainly suicidal plan B. He asks how he can help, but the next trial must begin. The trial of Setne. The man himself arrives covered in anti-magic hieroglyphs and chained by the seven herbs in the Hathor, like the ones we saw Zia use in Book 1. We learn that Setne is basically the most fucked up guy of all time, and he would most certainly be sent to the Oblivion, but Carter and Sadie plead with Julius to not do so, uh, so that they can learn the Shadow Binding spell. Using the Feather of Truth, they get from him that the spell should still be in the margins of the Book of Thoth, but they'll need to take him with them in order to get there safely. He also says that they should split up, so that he, Carter, and Zia can get to the Book of Thoth while Sadie and Walt go to get Bess's Shadow, using Walt's last moments of life to pull it off. With the final cut of mentioning that without doing so, Ruby's ghost will certainly be destroyed, Osiris releases Satin into their custody. Chapter 11. Carter. Don't worry, be happy. Zia, Carter, and Setne are sailing down the Nile on the Egyptian Queen, and Carter nearly opens up about his feelings when he's interrupted by Setne, who's done a wardrobe change to look full Uncle Vinny, ancient Egyptian mafioso. Zia pulls him into the wheelhouse to give them the exact coordinates of their going, and that's when Set appears to Carter in a full Amos look. Tells Carter that the alliance with Amos isn't anything to be suspicious about because he wants Apophis stopped as much as everyone else. In fact, Amos was the one to send him here. The last thing he does before zapping away is warn Carter to look out for the giant hippo, which then surfaces from out of the Nile and begins to attack. Zia gets blasted into the water while trying to attack it, and Setne smarmily offers Carter a spell to use, but Carter instead assumes falcon form and starts clawing at the hippo. This doesn't work, and the hippo just about uh, destroys the Egyptian queen. Right at the last moment, though, Carter manages to summon the Avatar of Horus and make some progress in fighting the monster. Finally, he has to accept Setne's help, and uses the spell which translates to, Hoppy, arise and attack. The Nile boils, and from beneath them rises a giant blue god who grabs the hippo and shucks it halfway across Africa. This is Hoppy, the god of the Nile and provider of bountiful harvest, representative of fruitful flooding, and he's always got a smile. It turns out that Setne is the only magician who ever learned his secret name. They request his help in getting to their destination, which is the Temple of the Apis Bull, and he gives them some gross-looking Hoppy pills to get them there. They swallow them, and the last moments before they pass out, Hoppy, smiles still wide in his face, assures them they're absolutely walking directly into a trap. So Jane, what'd you think of these chapters? So last week we decided that we were kind of tired of being so negative on these chapters, and decided that we would like, we would try to be a bit more positive, we tried to go in with a bit more of an open mind. Uh-huh. Uh, it turns out that that was entirely unnecessary, because these ones are kind of bangers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is like, I don't know, like, the, the, the middle chapter especially, Rick is just, like, on mm-hmm. his groove. We've talked about, like, good spots in, um, especially Throne of Fire, 
bits about, oh, you know, it feels a bit more like Percy Jackson and the Olympians again. There's some funny jokes in here. This feels like it's not just evoking, like, the same kind of stuff that we liked from those. It feels like it's doing good stuff of its own, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's like it's finally coming into, like, the identity of the King Chronicles, which is... Like, okay, like, maybe there's something to be said for, like, that probably should have happened in the first book, but, like, I'm happy that it's happening now. Yeah, it's... I think, I think especially, like, the middle chapter, the reason it fe- one of the reasons it feels so good is because it's something that we really haven't gotten from Kane Chronicles so far, which is a group of friends adventuring together. Uh-huh. Like, there's so many funny little lines between the kids and little, like... I don't know, like, character-building stuff. Like, I love the moment where, um... Setney gets brought into the courtroom and he's got the ribbons covering him. And Walt is like, oh, fuck, I want the I want those ribbons so bad. I wish I could conjure up my own set. Zia just leans over to him and goes, yeah, no, I've got some. They're actually kind of crap. <laughs> no, like, that's... I just, but... Yeah, I just love that little... Those little interactions. That specifically was a moment I was super into because, like, Zia doesn't get a lot of, like, not being super serious all the time. Mm-hmm. So I adore these moments when she can just be like, oh, yeah, the recharge time is kind of bad. They're pretty strong. But, you know, like, <laughs> that, it's just like, wow, this is like a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's extremely funny that they still haven't recharged from her using them in book one. <laughs> right. It really gives you like, oh, yeah, this has been like a few months. Yeah, Breath of Fresh Air really is, like, the word for it. It just, it feels so much better than we've had for several episodes now. Yeah, and, like, this is kind of, uh, listener of the show, Marcy, a friend of the show, Marcy, uh, uh, made a point in our Discord server that uh, some of the failure of the King Chronicles is that it really doesn't, like, differentiate itself in any meaningful way. It doesn't stick to the, like, gods as part of nature thing mm-hmm. uh and i think that like there is actually some of like some of that here in a really nice way uh like specifically i think that i don't know i there's something about like the way osiris's whole trial goes uh uh-huh. that make that makes me really feel like oh yeah this is like this is the this is the process this is like the embodiment of the process of death and like uh at the same time like uh i guess hoppy who is like kind of silly but just like wow this is really just like oh like for the first time i feel i really feel like this is this does justice in a way to like oh yeah this god feels like what it feels like when the nile floods Mm -hmm. so i really appreciate that yeah hoppy definitely feels like like he's removed from human affairs in a way that a lot of the other gods haven't been. Oh, definitely. And also, like I, I remember last week I was rooting for like um, I want like cold, uh, process abiding Osiris, mm-hmm. and we kind of got that. I wasn't expecting to also get like fucked up, broken shell of a man, Julius Kane. 
Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it, and it super works for me. It uh, the, like this this man has been handed L after L for three straight books now. Yeah, we were ragging on him super hard last time, <laughs> uh, but like I, I, you can't help but feel bad for him here when his kids are like he he gets to hug his kids, which he gets to do like what once every like few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, the like the his biggest company is like a guy named Disturber and a, <laughs> like a a dog named Amit and a, a bunch of souls. And like sometimes his wife, but uh oh, uh, <laughs> and like the like the joy he has upon seeing his kids, then so immediately being replaced with just like absolutely crushing, like like oh god, I have to accept these horrible like goings on now because like it's the only thing that can happen, especially when they like present to him like okay, dad, if you don't help us, we're gonna have to kill ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> like fuck. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they learned it by watching him. They did. They did. They absolutely <laughs> did. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, the, like the the bit where like um, he he tries to sentence Setney to death, not knowing uh, that they need him. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they have to stop him, and like they can tell that he's heartbroken because this is how he feels useful. Yeah, is like this. This is all he can do is like sentencing Setney, and they like have to take that away from him. Exactly like fuck <laughs> no like that that's the exact moment i was like oh god julius is such a like he's he's such a like fucked up guy right now but that exact moment like the deflation that you can just like feel in every single word is so tasty it is it's so good and that's not even mentioning that this chapter has like banger after banger joke uh-huh like um uh, one of my new favorite characters is robert windham yeah, <laughs> an investment bar- a banker from Texas who like just skate- skates out of getting sent to basically hell. Yeah, and screeches like Red Cross donations, baby. It's <laughs> it's so fucking funny because like this is this is like I don't know. I'm I'm sure someone could say something about like oh this is an oversimplification of the idea of, of judgment in Egyptian beliefs, uh, ancient Egyptian beliefs. But mm-hmm. what it does do extremely well is be funny, and yeah. the, like the way it does that is by like taking the concept of like oh reading off all the crimes you had you didn't do in your life, and then <laughs> like having every single choice you ever made be wait. It's like the like the funnier like some of the funnier jokes like in the good place or something yeah it's got a lot of like the pearly gates about it uh, but it's very funny exactly like hearing julius just like monotone like despite being an investment banker <laughs> you've been deemed virtuous like that's fucking hilarious <laughs> and the way he, tra- he tries to start giving julius financial advice as he's dragged out uh-huh like, I also love that it's like it's so obvious that he's a scumbag and he's kind of gamed the system. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's like the kind of because we've talked about like oh we need to like we want it this to feel like clearly defined, clearly differentiated, and like have its own like have its own just like have it its own tone. Mm-hmm. And it's like I think what I didn't realize was really needed for that was like some humor to it. <laughs> yeah, the the humor's been very hit and miss in these books. Yeah, uh, but like having humor on this like pretty like ostensibly like serious thing really helps. Yeah, it's it's very good. 
and that that and that brings us on to Setney. Uh, the best character in this book. Absolutely the best character in this book. Setney feels like he's walked out of the Skullduggery Pleasant books. I, I, I've, I've never read those, but I would love to hear more. Because that series is like, pretty much once per book, the main characters have to like form an uneasy alliance with like a charismatic scumbag. Uh-huh. Who just like is this smarmy piece of shit acts very unflappable and then inevitably like ends up in a horrible situation uh-huh and it feels like setney is primed to be exactly that and i'm here for it absolutely like this is the kind of character that i've been like i've been this is like what we felt when set got really good exactly um, and setney is like Okay, one thing that I really want to praise Rick for here is having both Setney and Set in the same chapter. That First was so of all, good. <laughs> good choice. You just fucking packing it with, you know, the, the TNT of good decisions. And also having them, like, despite me kind of, like, hearing Setney first being like, oh, this guy's kind of like Set. Like, they're so, like, their voices are so clearly different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so, like... Setney is this like smooth talking manipulator whereas like they're both very like dry in their own way but uh-huh. Set does not give a fuck what you think of him. Definitely. Uh, Setney is oilier too, I would say. Literally, his hair he keeps making repeated references to like his like him slicking back his greasy hair into like a 1950s biker kind of thing yeah (laughs) it's it's so fucking funny this guy he's just like the world's worst scumbag and he's been alive (laughs) for like thousands of years just causing havoc and like that just keeps getting he keeps escaping his parole officer it's so good and the joke is funny enough that i can that i can overlook the like mild french revolution revisionism when it's like when it's like oh i caused the french revolution bad thing and i and assassinated archduke franz ferdinand both very equivalent actions uh setney is based (laughs) he's kind of (laughs) i i didn't want to say it (laughs) Oh god, I, I, God, it's just so funny. He's just such a good character. I love. I. I. This is like, I'm. I'm so into it. I'm so into it. That's, I'm so that's into all. it. And I. I especially like in um chapter eleven. Um, we get a sign that he's not just going to be like like this the whole time. Mm-hmm. Because we get that moment with um Harpy the uh the Nile god, who is he's always smiling. He's always happy. And he's talking about um, Setney finding out his true name. And he looks at him still with that smile on his face like, I'd really like to pull your fucking legs off. Uh-huh. And Setney like panics and backs off. So I love that he's not unflappable. Like, yeah. stuff can fuck up and surprise him. Yeah, definitely. Happy is like a, a great choice here. Um, just like great, great choices made all around, especially when he does mm-hmm. make that turn to like just saying incredibly threatening things with the like, <laughs> still in the exact same mood, because it's it's just like this is the right amount of like disquieting like that I want here. Yeah, definitely. It's like okay, what's what's the drawback here? Like okay, it's a pretty easy solution to a fight. Blah blah blah. No, the 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 fucked up thing here is that Hoppy is scary. <laughs> <laughs> and i mean it, it is it, it does have to be chalked up as a literal deus ex machina 
Yes. However, but... I the, the fight is also just like really good up to that point. Uh-huh. Like the the actions had a bit of a problem for the past couple of like big fight scenes of not really having a proper sense of place and like not really knowing where everything is in relation to each other. Yeah. And this fight because it's focused around the boat and the hippo attacking the boat. Like we know where we are, it's a boat in a river. We know what uh-huh. the stakes are, the boat will sink. And it it gives like a good like center thing for Carter to then fly around and attack the hippo. So it's it's much more punchy and visceral in that way. The hippo is one of the most like credible threats that I felt in this entire like series. <laughs> like the like the from the opening description of like Carter like of it rising out of the ground, lifting up their boat as it does it, uh, and Carter like seeing down its throat. Um, all the way to, like, Carter trying to hit it, like, but, like, sliding off because it has fucking hippo skin. And then, like, later on trying to slash at its eyes, but it has, like, incredibly thick, like, mucous membranes or whatever. Like, it it presents such a credible threat, and I think it really, it fits that Carter, this is, like, where we get the Carter almost shits himself joke. Oh yeah, because yeah. it feels big enough and scary enough that I could see that happening. It's it, it's it's like you said. It's just like good action, which I was dying for, and I I, I like the idea of a big blue guy tossing a big hippo. Yeah, what can just I say? fucking hurling it into the sun. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Zia didn't get a lot of play in this fight. Uh, I she think she just kind of fell in the river and then floated away. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's she's been she's on the sort of like. Something's going on with Zia, and I'm pretty interested in it. I I think that this is like this is like sympathetic magic, right? Yeah, I think so. Which I'm like happy to see the return of because this was a big concept, mm-hmm. especially in like book one. And so, like, to hear to, to for it to have its big return, I would say, uh-huh. with like with like a you know kind of like character beats for Zia, like tied up in that. I think that's great. Like, I like that Zia and Ra are becoming, like, entwined. Yeah, definitely. The, um... Because it's... It's a clever little parallel that you don't see being drawn until it's laid out for you. Uh-huh. Like, oh, Zia was locked in that uh, tomb for a couple of months. Ra was locked in the old folks' home for a while. You can see how there is, like, a similarity and a kind of empathy there. Definitely. Especially because we know that Zia was, like having like thousands of years of nightmares for all that time mm-hmm. it really kind of makes you feel more like it kind of endears me to raw more yeah like, definitely i'm like oh i i like i like zia i i the i i have sympathy for zia oh raw is like zia okay i get it now oh raw went through the same kind of horrible experience i get it now yeah this is is this a commentary on uh malpractice and the like for elder like elderly abuse it very very well might be because the the person who put ra in that situation uh makes an, an especially poor showing in these chapters yeah isis isis is back um we're going we're going all in on isis being horrible and good frankly it works it definitely does she starts off with like no, you can't date this boy, which of like obviously crime number one. Uh, <laughs> side note: the 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 Walt Anubis stuff more obvious than ever. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. Like that, Rick's not even trying to be coy about it. It's not going to be treated as a big twist when it happens. I suspect. Yeah, um, and uh, then she's just like going full on with like, "You're all so fucked up. You need to like, like, you need to join with me and take over the world." Oops, I mean, save the world. <laughs> blah blah blah. Like she's she's doing the thing, and I appreciate that the that thing keeps showing up. She is such a fucking unabashed hypocrite. Uh-huh. And I love that Sadie like recognizes that and calls her out on it. And it, it also it fits so well with her character because like obviously she would do anything and break any rule for power. She fucking stabbed Ra in the back, so of yeah. course she would say to Sadie's, "Hey, stay away from the gods. Don't go near Anubis." By the way, can I live in your brain again? Yeah, yeah. Like I, <sighs> this is like kind of what I the bringing the promise of that what book was that and was that in one like when we got the sequence of her putting raw away i think we see that flashback in book two okay yeah i think you're i think you're right um and like to so and to that i feel like this is kind of like finally delivering on that promise of like mm-hmm. who i uh, who isis is yeah because it's i think uh earlier in this book we were a bit cagey about um the book maybe like pulling back on its depiction of isis uh-huh and sadie being like quite sympathetic to it even though she was obviously evil but that seems to have gone out the window because isis crossed the line of telling her that she can't date anubis yeah exactly exactly the, num- the crime number one <laughs> uh there's there's another thing in here that i thought was kind of interesting what's that i don't know if we had that established yet uh because when isis is saying hey let me live in your brain again Zia doesn't, uh, sorry, Sadie doesn't say fuck off. Sadie says later. Yeah. Does, yeah. Do we no, know about this? Is this new? It's one of those, like, I don't think we ever explicitly heard. It almost makes me wonder if Carter and Sadie have different ideas of what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, like, I feel like Carter is all in on, like, mm, like he, he does not seem to want to join with Horace at all. Yeah, he's he's never mentioned any intention of doing it again. He's mentioned, like, the temptation, but no intention. And Sadie seems to be saying, like, well, we have to do that at the exact right moment and not any time mm-hmm. other than that. Yeah, I hope they're communicating about this. <laughs> One would really hope, but it feels like... It feels like in the scramble to, like, be, like, the leaders of this place, they have both just kind of, like, lost all communication in a way. They are both running a bit of a clown show. Yeah, yeah. I wonder like, if it only feels that way because we get most of Carter and Sadie's dialogue through, like, because they've been split up so often, all of their dialogue is like, I told Carter everything that happened while I was doing my thing. Carter told me everything that was happening while he was doing his thing. Yeah, that's true. That that does tend to be how it goes for, like, their chats. And, like, sometimes mm-hmm. there's, like, every... I don't know, fifth chapter will get a little bit, but the, the dialogue, like the space for conversations between characters tends to get allotted to like other characters and one of the canes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause they're mostly split up. Yeah. Which I can understand because like they're both our main characters. We get to see into their heads all the time. Uh, yeah. And I, I, to be clear, I don't want to sit through both Carter and Sadie laboriously recounting the shit we just read. Absolutely not absolutely not um oh and and like i think that i actually appreciate what what was done here 
uh, which was that like I feel like the pacing that I expect kind of got broken up in a really nice way uh-huh. because I, I tend to expect like two chapters each for them at least each of them gets at least one chapter probably two off on their own before they like join back up uh-huh. uh, and this time it was like they were both together Sadie did one chapter solo and then immediately they joined back up so I was like okay that is a nice that is a nice like uh like structural mix-up that i appreciate yeah we've been complaining about the like the overall plots and stuff getting a bit stale so it's it's good that that stuff's being mixed up definitely uh let's see uh, 30 minutes before one of us says uh let's see it's it's a new record <laughs> there's a lot of good shit to talk about in these chapters there really is well we also we um finally get a bit of complexity for set from someone other than geb and nut uh-huh just well when he's having his chat with carter and points out like yes i am like in this universe i guess quote unquote the god of evil uh-huh but like i need a world to rule over and be evil at yeah so like there's degrees of evil here <laughs> This is something we've gotten, like, kind of hinted at before. And, mm-hmm. like, like you said, it's, like, the biggest moment of, like, humanization we got was from, uh, like, the direct parallel between Set and Amos in the first book, which then was, like, obviously dire- very directly tied together. Uh-huh. Um, and, like, it, it, it worked decently well. Um, and we also just, like, grew... I think because Set was such a good character by the end of that we like grew to like kind of understand that more i think mm-hmm. but also i think that there is sort of like a um <sighs> the fact that he gets to talk about that like himself uh I, I appreciate that and also like the fact that like it just makes so much sense that he would have it out for apophis because set does not strike me as someone who likes to be controlled well exactly he needs something to rule over <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, and I, I like that's tied into, like, the fact that he was one of Ra's lieutenants. Yeah, like, even if even if he's, you know, the god of, like, chaos and evil and foreigners, then, yeah, the, he's, he still is, oh, like, um, he's still, like, a god, and that means he is, like, on the same general side of everyone. Like, he wants there to be something, because that's if we're talking about like the gods as representative of these like forces of nature, then you need there to be nature for there to be gods. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think we even got in red pyramid, like um, set thrives in like cities and places with a lot of humans in high chaos. Oh, right, right, right. I forgot about that. Which make this whole thing does make it a bit confusing that his plan in red pyramid was to glass the entirety of North America. Uh-huh. But I guess he would have the rest of the planet to rule over. That's true, that's true. Like, he gets one very big throne and throne room, and the rest of it is just of gets... a fucking desert, thousands of miles from anyone he's ruling over. Yeah, and to be fair, he's also the god of deserts, so, you know... He oh, gets, that, he gets... yeah, no, that would help. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, uh... It, so I'm, I'm... Oh, the fact that he shows up, like, literally looking like Amos, but with, like, red skin or whatever, <laughs> that that's that's good stuff. It's good. I like the. Um, I I hope that we get a bit more from Amos about like how he's feeling about this. Yeah. Because it was like, set possessing him was played as like a violation. Definitely. 
So I, I, I want to get into like how he is like dealing with the, the probably like quite traumatic experience of having to go to set hat in hand for help. It's, it is super fucked up if you think about it mm-hmm. because Amos, like he had to like leave and leave these kids on their own for like months and months to like do some like healing, like some spiritual, like psychic healing because he was just like so fucked up after set, like possessed him basically. Mm-hmm. And like, now that he's turned back to set like the overall tide of the magic world here like even like no matter what you know all the this and that it's turning towards the tide we see like through things like uh what's his name leonid uh the russian guy oh yeah uh, we see that like magicians more and more are seeing like oh we need to turn to the path of divine magic yeah and Amos's main connection to divine magic is through set. Like that's like, I, I, I really, you're right. I want to hear more from him because that's like a really interesting dynamic that I want. I, like, I want to know more about like how, how is he processing that? Like, yeah, I want to know that. And it, it's one of those things where I think, again, we've talked about like the path of the divine needed, like way more drawbacks attached to it. Right. To justify, like, why it had been banned for so long. And, yeah. like, yeah, just doing divine magic means that you got to interact with the evil gods as well. Yeah, like, they want to fuck with you. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> this, is, this is kind of what Isis actually kind of offers some of this argument, is that, like, and, you know, to, like you said, hypocrisy and such, but she's basically saying, like, the more you're around gods, the more fucked up you will get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that does actually seem to be true. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, it does seem to be the case, and I love that um, Sadie even like thinks about Dejaden when she learns about all this stuff. Yeah, like she has that like thought of like in his voice, "This is what I was fucking telling you." Uh huh. Yeah, Dejaden has actually. I think he came up in a few, like a chapter previously too. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like he's really impacted these kids. I mean, yeah, he was kind of like. He was their arch enemy who then turned into like a cool team up for a huge fight. Yeah, he was he was kind of the hero at the end. And <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that the character is being treated with like the like he hasn't been forgotten about. I'm glad that like there is still this weight of like the things are not so easily discarded. Yeah, we haven't gone back to um the end of Red Pyramid, Dejaden, where he's like he got exploded and is now wandering around in his underpants. Exactly. Like he's we we're treating him with a bit more seriousness now that he fucking killed himself to get rid of Apophis. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> this is this is a call out post for Julius Kane. Uh-huh. Um Amit is a Poochikins. And should be called as such. Emmett is so fucking cute. I love this dog. Like, this is a weird little hybrid creature that runs around and keeps bashing into things. It's it's kind of weird because like we haven't really seen. It makes perfect sense. Like, there's nothing here that does not like track to me. But mm. we haven't really seen Sadie and Amit interact since like book one. Yeah, so, he shows up very briefly there, but it's not a big deal. And so I. I Usually, like, oh, you know, off-screen character development, blah, blah, blah. This is just, like, a nice little, like, implication. Like, oh, they've probably visited a few times. Like, the times yeah. when she's been around Anubis, like, and it might have been there. I enjoy that. Like, I enjoy that Sadie had... Because it makes perfect sense that she would, like, 
grow to love this weird fucked up pup. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very cute scene. I enjoy that a lot. We're getting like more about Osiris's like the 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 judgment gods around him. Um mm. like we we uh we we firsthand meet I don't remember their names. There's like hot head and fire shoe or something like that. Uh, they were like old, old, old judges, but now they've kind of been resigned to like um, to the old folks home to Sunny mm-hmm. Acres, and Zia breaks up a fight between them. It's interesting that like it's interesting, and then like after that we get to meet Disturber, who is like the only one left, and it's interesting that we're getting this much like, I guess emphasis put upon them. I, like, yeah, it's it's not something we've heard about before, so it does feel like it must be setting something up, right? I think that must be it because like I like the moment when Disturber is like explicitly told I think maybe by the by Sadie uh that like oh we saw we just saw some of the other judges and he gets like he like because he seems to be like on the verge of like slipping into I guess senility anyway Mm. um and so there's this like weird moment where he's just like oh like like I want to like I need to go see it like I don't know like I I really appreciate whatever is going on there it's just kind of like I, it's 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 fascinating to me I don't know what's happening here yeah it's also it's it's a good like way to show how fucked up everything's getting that like the whole thing is like you know it's a courtroom it's driven by all these rules and procedures and Osiris like trying to look like he knows what he's doing to maintain some semblance of control uh huh and he just doesn't know where two of his gods are yeah. Like, one of the reasons Disturber freaks out is because, like, they just disappeared. They didn't know that they were in the retirement home. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... I really like that. One thing that uh, these chapters brought up, I guess speaking of things that are, like, kind of being introduced, this one feels a bit more like... I mean, maybe I missed it in the previous chapters, Uh and, like, it was just, like, already kind of introduced. And it is kind of um, played off here as a moment of, like, Sadie realizing it, although I think it's said a little bit more like uh, straightforwardly before she does is said to realize it I didn't realize that like the void swallowing all the ghosts was literally Apophis's shadow yeah I I don't remember if we'd gotten that so explicitly I mean it makes it's a reasonable assumption to make but yeah they seem to be taking that as red yeah it makes perfect sense um and like I but it almost feels like this is one one thing where it like doesn't click as well to me like it doesn't click as well like oh you know I can't just slot this in as easily Mm -hmm. because it feels like there's supposed to be a moment in these chapters where Sadie makes that realization but like the chapter before she was already like talking about it Uh, yeah that's very strange it's a bit weird it makes me wonder about like I don't know, like what? Probably just a minor blip of like shuffling. I imagine. Yeah, it's just kind of one of those things that happens in the redraft. We've we've also gotten a little bit of a retcon. Oh, what's that? But I'm I'm quite pleased with it. I don't mind it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We have changed the way that going to the duo when you die works. Oh yeah. Uh, so we're back to like um, Percy Jackson rules apply, where it's like whatever kind of afterlife you thought about the most or made the biggest impact on your life, that's where you end up. And you're just kind of seeing something different. Yeah, there's this moment where, like, Walt, where Sadie and Maul are talking about this, Walt is explaining it to her because Walt knows a suspicious amount of, like, death stuff now. Hmm. Uh, uh, And she's like, but what happens if you don't 
like if, what happens if you don't believe in an afterlife and Walt just like looks at her sadly and is like well that's what you'll get and it's like fucking hell feels like okay simultaneously like almost reads is like what do you what do you say in here rick like right like um <laughs> like but more so i think reads as like Walt as a character who is on the verge of death like he's staring course, down the barrel of oblivion yeah of course he would fe- have strong feelings about like the afterlife of you know what i mean like mm-hmm. so i that, that's i do i do like that we're going back to the, like the idea is that robert Wyndham, which is a weirdly like funny name to just pull i like, i googled that when i read it because i was like is this a real guy it feels like a real guy name uh-huh it's it, it's nobody. There was like an obituary for Robert Wendham who died in twenty twenty one. I assume it's not the same one. There's also a professional wrestler named uh, Robert Wendham. Yeah. Uh, which maybe. I was Rick... curious if you like if that was one that you knew because I know you like wrestling. Well, I I didn't. Although he is like I think the grandfather of a uh, oh what's his name Bray Wyatt who did some pretty mm. who's done some pretty good work. Uh, yeah, I was like. I was like, is this a like a, like a weird reference made by Rick? But he didn't die until 2016, so yeah. Unless he was like trying to manifest that because he really didn't like him. <laughs> oh God! Like Rick was a big fan of whatever face was going around at the time, <laughs> and like Ro- like Robert Wyndham was playing the heel or something. That's that's really funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I. It, it it's such a funny name to pull specifically but like the idea uh is just like kind of reiterated here like oh this guy must have just like read the stories when he was young and been really entranced by the idea and i really i don't know there's something so charming about that to me yeah i, I like it a lot i think it, it's you know it's a blatant contradiction to what we had in um uh throne of fire with the uh, roman mummies because that was like to go to the duo you need to do the specific burial rites uh, but also, this gels way better with the original, like, Percy Jackson explanation and makes more sense, so I don't care. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if you could almost read, like, you know, this is still a retcon, but I wonder if you could almost read this as, like, because the Romans were treating, like, they, like, retreating, like, this religion with, like, such, like, like, oh, it's like a silly little game we play. Yeah, they were like, hedging their bets. Yeah, like, because of that, I wonder if you could almost read it as, like, oh, if they were just, like, normal about it, then they would have, like, gone to the duot, but because <laughs> they were all assholes, like, then, like, obviously they didn't get in there. Yeah, I, that is kind of the implication in hindsight, which makes sense. They were assholes. Yeah. Oh, I you've I I I have to ask. Does Uh-oh. does Uncle Vinny feel like a, a proper a proper uh follow up to Mad Claude? <laughs> Uncle Vinny, I would say, I don't want. I don't want to say that he surpasses Mad Claude because Mad Claude is a different beast. He's like a one-off fucked-up character. Uh huh. But yeah, he's he's definitely the most fun side character we've had since Mad Claude. Definitely. Um. <laughs> the thing is, the chapters were good, but there were only three of them. Okay. Yeah, we read three chapters this week <laughs> uh, because there's a weird number of chapters in this book and we wanted to try and space it out. Like this is still the same amount of pages we usually read. Yeah. No chapter Um, 10 is like incredibly long. Uh huh. But there are only three of them. This might be a shorter one. Uh, in fact, 
uh i don't know do you have any like do you have any more thoughts on this before we wrap it up oh we haven't talked about um bears at all oh you're right we haven't i guess i kind of uh i don't know uh i what do you think about bears here uh i think that if you swap out the word shadow for the word willy his uh scene with tower at the ancient city goes exactly the same way It goes exactly okay. So you're saying that Bez and Towerette are having this this lovely moment, and then Bez like fishes his cock out of his pants. He must have trusted me a great deal to reveal it. <laughs> and then he's like, "I'm gonna leave this behind in this <laughs> temple. Like that's normal to you." Well, that's he the... could have put it in like a canopic jar or something. I guess. I guess you're right. I guess that's. <laughs> I guess that's true. But, you know, uh, the Towerette, Towerette, I'm glad that, like, we get more of an expansion on their past relationship because, Mm -hmm. you know, I do think that they are, like, a cute character pair. They are. It was kind of left in a weird place last book. We didn't uh, go into it in in much depth, but, like, Towerette essentially accuses accuses Bast of being a Stacy. Yeah. Manipulating poor incel um, bears. Yeah, that is... is is not giving bears anywhere near enough credit like he very clearly cared about the canes and sacrificed himself for them yeah towerette is like just like super pissed off and is saying that like bass manipulated him and it's like that's both unfair to bass and bez yeah because bass first of all barely like she likes bez as a friend but she's not like out there manipulate she asked him to do it but yeah like your mate asking you to do a favor does not become manipulative manipulative just because she's hot exactly well (laughs) jane if i asked you for a favor this whole podcast has been an exercise in mutual manipulation that's right uh yeah listener we are manipulating you because we're hot Uh, (laughs) give us money on patreon give us money on patreon we'll (laughs) we'll give you more podcasts I was going to say we'll start, we'll give you nudes, but we will not do that. We will not. Also, we can't do that on Patreon. <laughs> unwise girls only fans when? The unwise only, uh, what would we call it? The only, only pans? Only doe beings. Only doe beings is cute. I like only pans. That's also good. Uh. <laughs> uh anyway. Uh, yeah, but the, yeah, so I'm I'm pretty happy with the best stuff. I also just think the image of like the nursing home goes for a beach day is kind of just like that's that's fun. You know, I'm I'm glad that they're having fun. It seems like a, a fairly bleak existence for them, so I'm glad they get to go at the beach sometimes. Yeah, I also really like that we get another peek into Tower's character here, and that she's like, she's she, we I I like that she is just so concerned first and foremost with like the like these old gods like mm-hmm. she's like oh like this is not a fate that they deserve they don't deserve to be consigned to oblivion and obviously Sadie is like well none of us deserve to be consigned to oblivion <laughs> but like I guess it's like the difference of perspective here where Talred is like very simultaneously very personally invested in this um, and also like a bit more mature than Sadie I would say. I guess it could also be like um, one of the things that um, we liked in the earlier chapters was the librarian at Brooklyn House, who like yeah yeah Cleo. can't can't really deal with the apocalypse as an idea. So it's just like how dare Apophis fuck up these books? And Towerette might be in the same boat where she's like, how dare Apophis fuck up these old people? Exactly. Yeah, it's like that minimizing to make it easier to deal with. You're right. Uh huh. Last thing. Last thing that I've got. 
Go back to that. It's just uh, on on the boat ride over to the courthouse. There's just like one little character moment with Carter that I quite liked. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is just um, uh, Sadie tells him about like oh um, Amos is fucking around with set again. And there's just this line that's like, after several minutes of swearing and pacing the room, he finally calmed down. <laughs> Which is just like, Carter is such a composed character normally. And it really like, it shows you how close that hits. Like that really strikes a nerve that his uncle, who he cares deeply about, is in this horrible situation again. That he like completely loses it. Yeah, like, because... Carter is a character with a lot of like like you said he's very composed but mm-hmm. I do I do like that we're seeing more and more of his like that we're, we're seeing that breaking down more and more and I think that we talked about that in the first book as like a like a very positive thing like he was breaking down like kind of the expectations put upon him he was kind of becoming mm-hmm. his own per- person uh, but we also see that like sometimes he has a bit of a temper yeah, I mean, he's he's clearly been keeping it repressed for quite a while, so exactly. it's starting to leak out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he gets another character moment, too, uh, with Zia a chapter later. Uh-huh. Uh, h- how do we feel about this almost confession? I, I mean, she knows. She knows. She knows. It's not much of a... It, it's not do or die on whether he gets to say this before the apocalypse arrives. Like, yeah. she's seen the Shabti memories. Yeah, and he fails his quick time event. Uh, oh, so no, actually, wait, wait. I wanted to uh, call that out and say um, this is not Carter failing a quick time event. Okay. Uh, where, like, uh, the, the raw stuff with Zia comes up and he thinks, maybe I should ask about that, and then doesn't. Not because he fails to ask about it in, like, 0.5 seconds and then never can again, but because he's terrified that Zia will set him on fire if he, like, digs about it. Uh-huh. It's like, oh my god, finally a legitimate reason for him not to ask a question. Thank you. Yeah. You got god, I'm yeah, I I'm really liking these chapters. Ever these, since these are a big improvement. I I I super hope this continues. We're going to read the next four chapters next episode and I I just hope they're like half as good as this, you know what I mean? Yeah, I hope that this is the book hitting its stride and not like flash in the pan. This is the last good stuff we get before slogging through to the end. It's po- like that's possible, but I just like it, there my my spirits have been boosted, so I I'm Definitely. I'm, prefer- I'm I think I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I, I feel like I always end this up ep- these episodes by saying that I'm hopeful, but this time I really am. <laughs> You're not just saying it to try and cope with the horrible reality of having to read more chapters like the last lot. That's right. No, this is there's there's no shift in perspective needed here. I, my perspective is pure and objective, and it's that these are good, <laughs> and that the episode is over. It is. God, you fucking changed my, you fucking changed my understanding of fiction ever since you've introduced me to the idea of failing a quick time event. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny to think about. Oh god! Every gate, every every book, every story is just kind of a telltale video game if you think about it. That's so true. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the show, you can check us out on Twitter, uh, on Twitter. That's a little I the Somnium Files reference for all you all you uh, I the Somnium Files fans. Uh, oh, we should play that for a bonus episode, Jane. We should we should we should. I think you gave it to me on Steam a while ago. I did. It has Egyptian God stuff in it, so... Ah, yeah, there it is. I'll install that, then. 
Hell yeah. Oh yeah, so you can reach us on Twitter. Uh, there we've got our links to our Patreon, our Discord, our own personal Twitters. We post we post silly things, we post epic things, we, po- we post cringe things, we post fail things, we post lots of things. I, so I think you might enjoy it. Uh, and uh, if you'd like to support us, you can go and leave a five-star rating or review. Uh, you can uh, tell your friends about us. That one really helps. We're wrapping up on the Kane Chronicles, so maybe, you know, say that, you know, we've covered two entire series almost. That, that might help out. Um, if you've got and- a friend who... Uh- is really into the Kane Chronicles, tell them that it's going to be a mixed bag for them, but there will be some praise. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, if you got a friend who's really into, like, mythology, even, maybe mm. they'll maybe they'll enjoy this. Uh, and uh, another way you can support us very directly is by going to patreon.com and uh, leaving us a few bucks. Uh, uh, our various uh, levels is for $1 a month, you get the special Discord role of Whittle Dobying. For $3 a month, you get the special Discord role of Big Ba Energy and all of our bonus content as well. Uh, speaking of which, in the last bonus episode, we discussed uh, the fuck void in Homestuck. Uh, we chatted a bit about the TTRPG for trans rights in Texas bundle on uh, Itch and uh, talked about uh, which authors we would like to dig up and have a conversation with. That's right. <laughs> uh, you're the worst person alive. Uh, <laughs> the content uh, warning for where that goes is in the episode description. <laughs> it, it doesn't really go there, but there's a brief joke about it, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I tried to get Jane to take it out. <laughs> you did not. I, 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 uh, for five dollars a month, you will get the special Discord role of the, the Bast head fat pass. Use it wisely. Uh, Bast is somewhere. I'm sure it's fine right now. It's probably a good enough time before the world ends. She's busy uh, escorting all of the kids to the first gnome, all the penguins, etc. If you live in Egypt, then intercept Bast and give her a head fat. Yeah. But give her the pass first, so she she knows it. We have a deal. Yeah, you need you need to show the pass, otherwise she'll just claw your face off. That's right. Uh, and uh, I think that does it. Uh, uh, and as we always, oh wait, no, 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 no. I'm so fucking sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Every single episode, if you're at the five dollar level, we will thank you personally, along with you getting our bonus content. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye. Bye.